Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Do you read the Bible as half full? This just dawned on me today. I don't even know why. Uh, I know plenty of people who think of themselves as glass half full kind of people, or at least they try to be, which is admirable, but they also struggle with all that Old Testament Debbie Downer stuff. And have I got some good news for you. Hey, hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we consider our own stories in light of God's story, including, oh yeah, the Debbie Downer stuff. Because today's Old Testament passage, here's the surprise, today's Old Testament passage gets to one of the few good kings, and it's refreshing, to say the least. And we've got a full day of reading, so I won't do a huge amount of commentary, but I will share in our closing reflection segment a key takeaway that I hope will help us even today. Before we start, of course, though, we do our New Testament segment first, most of the time, and Remember that Peter and John, what we read yesterday, were just castigated by the ruling body, the Sanhedrin, for preaching and healing, which is rather ironic. The public officials got nothing on them, but they still threatened Peter and John. (laughs) But Peter and John, of course, keep on preaching and healing and teaching. And that gets us to Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail, so they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. I remember, at least in Roman context, uh, that was grounds for capital punishment for letting a prisoner escape, if I remember correctly. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us to those who has given to those who obey him. 
When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, pause, remember that Gamaliel was this like studly kind of dude, uh, teacher, rabbi kind of guy. And that's who Paul studied under. Here we go. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. And he said to the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, be careful about what you are about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. But he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. And after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. And they went out, the apostles went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> All right, we don't have anything on you, but we'll just flog you. <laughs> and as much as we'd like to think we're all civil today, we still do the same thing. We just do it with uh, in more subtle and devious ways, don't we? All right, back to the book of 2 Kings. And um, 2 Kings 22 picks up with the story of Josiah. And I'm just going to read it because I'm going to save my commentary till the end. But um, one of the very few good kings. Not perfect, but then none of them are. Except Jesus. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent the court secretary Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, to the Lord's temple saying, Go up to the high priest Hilkiah so that he may total up the silver brought into the Lord's temple, the silver the doorkeepers have collected from the people. It is to be given to those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. They, in turn, are to give it to the workmen in the Lord's temple to repair the damage. They are to give it to the carpenters, builders, and masons to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the temple. But no accounting is to be required from them for the silver given to them, since they work with integrity. The high priest Hilkiah told the court secretary Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, went to the king and reported, Your servants have emptied out the silver that was found in the temple and have given it to those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, The priest Hilkiah has given me a book. 
and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded the priest Hilkiah, Ahakam son of Shaphan, Achbor son of Micaiah, the court secretary Shaphan, and the king's servant Asaiah, and he said, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, about the words in this book that have been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. So the priest Hilkiah, Achakam, Achbor, Shaphan, and Asaiah went to the prophetess Huldah, wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, son of Hahras, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district, and they spoke with her. And she said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Say to the men who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to anger me with all the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. Say this to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard, and this is the Lord's declaration. Therefore I will indeed gather you to your ancestors, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place. And then they reported to the king. So the king sent messengers, and they gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And then the king went to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the prophets, all the men from the youngest to the oldest. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul in order to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book, all the people agreed to the covenant. Then the king commanded the high priest Hilkiah and the priests of the second rank and the doorkeepers to bring out of the Lord's sanctuary all of the articles made for Baal, Asherah, and all the stars of the sky. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he did away with the idolatrous priests, the kings of Judah, that the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense at the high places in the cities of Judah and in the areas surrounding Jerusalem. They had burned incense to Baal and to the sun, moon, constellations, and all the stars in the sky. He brought out the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem. He burned it at the Kidron Valley, beat it to dust, and threw its dust on the graves of the common people. He also tore down the houses of the male cult prostitutes that were in the Lord's temple, in which the women were weaving tapestries for Asherah. Then Josiah brought all the priests from the cities of Judah, and he 
defiled the high places from Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He tore down the high places of the city gates at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, on the left of the city gate. And the priests of the high places, however, did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem. Instead, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He defiled Topheth, which is in the Ben-Hanam Valley, so that no one could sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire to Molech. He did away with the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They had been at the entrance of the Lord's temple in the precincts by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the eunuch. He also burned the chariots of the sun. The king tore down the altars that the kings of Judah had made on the roof of Ahaz's upper chamber. He also tore down the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. And then he smashed them and threw their dust into the Kidron Valley. The king also defiled the high places that were across from Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Destruction, which King Solomon of Israel had built for the Ashtoreth, the abhorrent idol of the Sidonians, for Shamash, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcob, Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. He broke down the sacred pillars into pieces, cut down the Asherah poles, then filled their places with human bones." which was a form of desecration. He even tore down the altar at Bethel and the high place that had been made by Jeroboam son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He burned the high place, crushed it to dust, and burned the Asherah. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mountain, and he sent someone to take the bones out of the tombs, and he burned them on the altar. He defiled it according to the word of the Lord, proclaimed by the man of God who proclaimed these things, And then he said, What is this monument I see? The men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things that you have done to the altar at Bethel. So he said, Let him rest. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who had come from Samaria. Josiah also removed all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to anger the Lord. Josiah did the same things to them that he had done at Bethel. He slaughtered on all the altars, all the priests of those high places, and he burned human bones on the altar. Altars. And then he returned to Jerusalem. The king commanded all the people, Observe the Passover that the Lord your God has written in the book of the covenant. No such Passover had ever been observed from the time of the judges who judged Israel through the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Lord's Passover was observed in Jerusalem. In addition, Josiah eradicated the mediums, spiritists, household idols, images, and all the abhorrent images that were abhorrent things that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. He did this in order to carry out the words of the law that were written in the book that the priest Hilkiah found in the Lord's temple. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength according to all the law of Moses, and no one like him arose after him. In spite of all that, the Lord did not turn from the fury of his intense burning anger which burned against Judah because of all the affronts which Manasseh had angered him with. 
For the Lord had said, I will also remove from Judah my presence, just as I have removed Israel. I will reject this city, Jerusalem, that I have chosen, and the temple about which I have said, I, my name will be there. The rest of the events of Josiah's reign, along with all his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. During his reign, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, marched up to help the king of Assyria at the Euphrates River. King Josiah went to confront him, and at Megiddo, when Necho saw him, he killed him. From Megiddo, his servants carried his dead body in a chariot, brought him into Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. Then the common people took Jehoahaz, son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in place of his father. And that gets us up through verse 30 of chapter 23. And we don't have quite enough time for the... The next psalm's kind of long, so we'll skip the wisdom segment today and just skip right to the reflection segment. And I want to point this out, right? The whole Bible is a story that points to Jesus, right? And really the sum of it is, who's God? Who are we? Why do we need a savior? <laughs> and uh, what are we supposed to do about it? So when we read crazy stuff like we read yesterday in Nahum or plenty of the rest of the Old Testament, one of the things that we should be looking for are those core common whole Bible themes. And one of the things, even though this is kind of a good story of Josiah doing something, the, the essential elements of the gospel and looking to Jesus aren't found in every single little passage in the Old Testament. But broadly speaking, we can look for these themes even in the Old Testament. And in fact, that is what we are supposed to do, according to authors in the New Testament. So, first of all, Josiah was contrite, right? He tore his clothes, which was a sign of mourning or remorse in that, in that era or that context. But the text says, and, and God commends him for making his heart tender. And we have all, well, maybe you haven't, but I have spent chunks of my life where I was hard-hearted and I was running the other way, right? It didn't make any difference what God said. And we all know the difference between being sorry for something that we did and just being sorry for the outcome or the consequence of something that we did, right? I'm like, I'm sorry I got busted, but I'm not really sorry that I got caught. And that doesn't fly. So first of all, he, there was a, an element of contrition. Remember, the word repent means to turn. Like you're moving toward God or away from God. There's no sitting still. And this was turning back to God. Second is he renewed the covenant, right? Remember, think just about like the agreement you have with your significant other. He renewed the covenant. Okay, God, we've been cheaters, liars, adulterers, idolaters. We've sacrificed our kids in the fire. We haven't kept up our end of the relationship. But we're going to do something different now, right? He renewed his vows, so to speak. And then he acted, right? He built barriers between him and sin, right? He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to stop going to these altars and the male cult prostitutes, etc." Or figuratively, you know what I mean? He wasn't, wasn't him going, but the people of Israel were. But he tore them down, right? He removed the temptation to, to do that. Tore down the altars and the places where people would forsake God and go do the wild thing with other gods. And finally, 
Josiah experienced God's grace. Right, The nation would still experience some consequences for their junk from the stuff Uh, from the sin of past kings. But God had grace on Josiah. And remember, our own repentance doesn't necessarily mean that we get out of the consequences, but we experience grace even if we experience the consequences. My friends, leaders lead. And we can't always influence everyone else around us in the way that they should go. But what we do can and will influence some. And let me challenge and encourage you, if you're a glass half full kind of person, or even if you're not, (laughs) do we read the Bible as half full? Do we see God more clearly, fall in love more deeply, and sometimes turn? I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen. Amen.